Welcome back to Project Potential. Super excited to have our buddy Gunner Ty Conley on today. Uh, he's a realtor in Seattle and he's a host of a podcast called Compounding Change. He's got some great advice, so go check it out. Thanks for coming, Gunner. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited for today and, and kind of learning more about what you guys do and kind of diving into a conversation about mindset and all that fun stuff. So let's get right in. Let's do it. One of the first things you know I was thinking about just because we're we're in this crazy time is how has the pandemic affected you and what's kind of been your biggest challenges and how have you overcome them? Yeah, so in real estate, when the pandemic officially hit or I guess initially hit, um, everything kind of shut down as as most businesses did. Everything came to a screaming halt. So there was probably one or two weeks there where we were kind of unsure as to what the you know what what moving forward into the real estate season was going to look like and this was back in in March and April and typically that's when things really heat up so there was a lot of panic going around there was a lot of people kind of uh freaking out because you know in a purely commission based world if if you're not selling houses then you're not putting food on the table so there's yep. a lot of you know disruption in the market and everything and um luckily it only lasted for about two weeks before some lobbyists in Washington, at least in Washington state kind of mm -hmm. opened things up a little bit. And there was, they figured out some safety protocols so that you could still show houses and stuff like that. But, you know, with, with everything kind of going digital with the pandemic and, and everybody kind of uh, leaning into to zoom and, and stuff like that, there was this big wave of and big push really in, in making your business more digital friendly. Mm -hmm. and going after it in that regard. <clears throat> and that's actually exactly kind of what I did. That's how I, I focus my time and energy is, is back to my marketing efforts, back to my, my base, back to my sphere and started creating content. And that's actually the genesis of the compounding change podcast, um, which was really cool. It was, I, I had taken a six week course on marketing for small businesses and realtors and, um, that's kind of how the podcast came about because that was part of the course was, Hey, we're going to start a podcast here. And it was slightly different than what compounding change looks like today, but uh, it, it, it kind of planted the seed there. And, and I realized, Hey, this is a medium that I really enjoy doing. And, and it kind of took off from there so to kind of answer your question, right? You had this level of uncertainty you had, um, you know, realtors and having no idea what to do. And then I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to lean into this digital stuff. I'm going to start the podcast. I'm going to start posting as much as possible on the internet and on social media to showcase like where I'm at, like what I offer the world. And honestly, like there was a time period too, where, where I was posting stuff and just receiving positive feedback because it was, was positive. Like it was optimistic yeah. perspectives. And obviously a lot of people were going through it um, in the beginning of the pandemic and and a lot of people still are too. So uh, that was kind of a long-winded answer <laughs> to your no, question. But. Dude, that's great. And like off, off your point, that's how, because um, that's why I reached out to you because I'm getting into real estate also. And I've seen like the positive stuff that you're putting out. I'm like, I really vibe with that, especially in this time. That's exactly the kind of message 
you know, that Liam and I want to share with people also. Um, and I know, I know also from one of my real estate connections, real estate's booming weirdly with the pandemic, at least in California, like people are moving out of the city and moving more East kind of in the suburbs and also out towards the mountains. Like Lake Tahoe is just a frenzy right now. Um, but yeah, I, I know a realtor who she said in this year, she's had like twice as much business as she did in her last year, just in this period. It's weird. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. been, yeah, seriously. It's definitely been a really weird year in that regard. So like I said, normally, normally when the pandemic was hitting in that early spring time period during the the year, it was, that's usually when the market starts to heat up. But mm -hmm. when it kind of hit and everything got delayed, there was like a month or two there where it was pretty slow, but as soon as June, July, and August hit, and August especially was by far the hottest market I've seen in a very long time, um, where you know you just had insane demand on the buy side and really low inventory, so you'd be getting into multiple offer situations. And there was times where you know I, I had these automatic searches set up for my buyers, where it's like if a house comes on the market today and we don't see it today, there's a very high chance that we're not even going to be in the running to go buy this house. Oh wow. So yeah. you're kind of dropping everything. You're you're kind of on edge waiting for <laughs> and 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 yeah. that was most price points too. It wasn't just a specific price point. That was pretty much all my clients. So yeah. there was a couple buyers where I I was in multiple offer situations many times before we finally got the right house. And people are often fifty, sixty thousand dollars over list price on a four hundred thousand dollar house and waiving inspection. And we're doing the same thing. We're we're missing out on the house. Yeah. So you know, we could dive into the the nuts and bolts in real estate and why that was probably a bad idea to be doing that kind of stuff. We we actually got lucky and found a house that was kind of, um, it had been on the market for a while and kind of passed over for other reasons, but it, it turned out to be a great buy for the specific buyers I'm talking about. But perfect. E either way, yeah, it has been definitely a weird world in real estate, considering there's a national, you know, global pandemic going on. It, exactly. Right. Yeah, let's let's um let's dive into a little, a little bit more about real estate because I know um a lot of, some of our listeners are definitely getting into that and trying to figure out what they want to do and I think real estate is really attractive. So um you've been in real estate about a year now, right? Uh actually just over 2. 2. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um so do you have any like pieces of advice or some approaches you took early on when you were getting into real estate that you would definitely recommend to people starting out? Yeah. So my story with real estate is I actually started in Spokane while I was still going to Gonzaga. And I started with a small firm there. Um, and that was kind of a, it was kind of a, an interesting chain of events. I, I was an intern there for the summer um, as a marketing intern. And by the end of the summer, I was like, okay, I, I think I could get my real estate license. And, and, and you know, obviously the, the people in the room here are smart, but they're not necessarily any smarter than I am. So I, I think I could probably do this. So I got my license my senior year of college and I was selling for that year. And then I ended up graduating and then leaving, coming, coming to Seattle to sell. Um, but to your question about, you know, starting out, there's a few different things that I did that I think helped me a lot um, and things that I probably would have done a little bit differently. So yeah. The the things that I think that are the most important when you're first starting out in real real estate is finding somebody that is super experienced, that is willing to take you under their wing as is almost like a personal assistant. Mm -hmm. And so that you can get as many reps as you possibly can in, in real transactions, but not necessarily so high stakes that you're at risk of blowing a transaction with your first client or first couple clients or whatever it is. 
So find somebody that's a that's a good mentor that that not only does a lot of business but also is really um, really fired up and motivated about mentoring you and being uh, a coach to you. So that's the biggest thing. That's probably been the biggest thing in my career thus far. Uh, but the other thing is like just getting out of your comfort zone because real estate really is it's a tough business to get into. I mean, it looks like it's all sunshine and rainbows from the outside looking in. Um, and the, and the quote that we like to always say is it's simple, but it's not easy. So yeah. on paper, it's a simple job, right? You, you have a client, you, you show them houses, you write up a contract, you get them under contract, you go to an inspection and then you go to the closing table. All right. And then you give them the keys. Oh, wow. That looks so easy, but there is so many more nuanced. <laughs> I've been learning that myself. <laughs> Because yeah, I'm doing what you said. I'm an assistant to a, a realtor in the Bay Area as I'm studying for my license. And just, uh, I was helping her with this fixer upper house and just seeing everything that goes into it. I, I, I had no idea. Like, there's a lot of stuff. Definitely. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, the job is interesting because you're you're really wearing a lot of hats, right? You're 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 a marketer. You're You're an operations manager. You're, in a lot of ways, you're a counselor. I mean, you're dealing with people and and you know that that's actually my favorite part of residential real estate is the fact that there is an emotional connection. I know a lot of people yeah. would say the opposite, like, "Oh, I want to get into commercial because there's no emotions; it's just numbers." But you know, I think for for me and my personality, one of my favorite aspects of, is getting to know the clients and getting to know the people, yeah. which I think would say I would say is another thing that I would focus a lot on is. Um, being your genuine self in real estate and not trying to front or, or act like a something you're not because it just comes off as gimmicky and salesy and really planning on or, or really purposefully connecting with your clients. That's the thing that I always, um, I always try to do. I don't necessarily ever, you know, I rarely wear a suit. Seattle's not really that kind of market to begin with, but I see other real estate agents that like, you know, wear a suit every day and they try to act like it's this, you know, wall street type job. And I mean, you're showing houses in neighborhoods to families. Like they don't need yeah. you to be pulling up wearing a three-piece suit. They need you to know what you're doing and establish a good relationship with them so that they trust you. Yeah. So that was one of the things that I've really realized recently is, is I can establish value without necessarily fronting like I'm some you know successful salesperson. Like I'm a human, they're a human, and it's all about the human connection there too. And I'm just trying to provide them value and help them either sell their home or find their next home or whatever it is and educate them on the process and make it as smooth as possible. Yeah. So I was kind of all over the place there, but I think, no, like dude, I said, the, that's the great. thing is, is big. That's great. And like, you've kind of been a mentor to me also as I'm a, a year or two behind you getting into the field and kind of the mindset to have. And that's why I appreciate our connection, you know, cause that's the reason I want to get into it also is just forming a human connection with people, you know? And I think that's where success comes. You know, I, I've heard Dude, it's the best. I, I've heard her. I've heard someone, a, a realtor in San Diego, was talking to you. She was saying, like, tell me if this is right. She said, like, 80 to 85% of realtors kind of seem like they're just transactional. They go from transaction to transaction, but there's a, there's a percentage of them that actually care about the people. They want to foster those relationships and continue them even after closing. Um, and so it's important. I think that's a really good, good part of it, you know? Definitely. Yeah. I've witnessed that in my career. I've seen agents that do the whole online lead grind, right? And they're they're from one client to another, but they don't necessarily ever want to establish that relationship. And you know, 
some people have different styles. Maybe they don't necessarily want to kind of cross the lines between business and, and friendship and, and their personal life and stuff like that. But to your point, like a lot of agents that do that are, are kind of constantly trying to find the next deal. But when you build that sort of exponential equation of, of clients that like you and trust you, they'll end up referring their friends and family and they'll end up doing repeat business with you. So two, three, four, five years into the game, you might be working with clients that you worked with when you first started, or you'll be working with their friends and family, and it no longer becomes uh, a friction. You know, there's there's no friction in the in the business anymore because your your relationships are really kind of driving things. And, you know, that's that's all kind of part part of playing the long game as well. And, you know, the long game in business is like the most important thing that you could possibly do. And especially with relationships, you know, is, is kind of focusing on on building those in the now and kind of building your, your pipeline in the future by just, like I said, being the best genuine version of yourself and, you know, providing value when you can without it being, you know, this gimmicky sales thing. It's, it's not a used car salesman job. And a yeah. lot of scripts will try to teach you to be that way. And it, it takes a while for you to kind of internalize that, like, it's okay to be yourself and it's okay to not be what the scripts say or, or how all the, the books try to tell you to act because everybody has their own blueprint and you're kind of just trying to fit in the way that you operate and figure that out and be comfortable with yourself too. So yeah, it's a wild business. And I, I can see that, I can see that spreading into other, you know, career fields also where you're forming relationships with people. Um, you know, that, that thing, you know, and I even dealt with that in certain points in my life, like insecurities and putting on a mask of people, like kind of expectations I think people have of me or whatever. And yeah, just taking that off and being yourself is really powerful. I know that's super cliche, but seriously, like um, that's one reason I like real estate because it's based on connections. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, Gunnar, you, um, you've touched on this a few times, but you've mentioned providing value. Um, and I've, you know, being, being in the business school or having gone through business school, they, they hammer down providing value. But I really only learned that from the marketing perspective. So like, what does pr- providing value to the client look like in real estate? Because from the outside, I just think of like, oh, they just want a good deal on a house. But I'm sure there's much more levels to that. My sister's doing real estate, so I know there's clauses and all these things. But yeah, what does providing value look like to your clients in real estate. Definitely. Yeah. So <clears throat> my favorite clients to work with are first time home buyers because I think that they, I personally really enjoy the process from beginning to end in their life of, of watching them from the beginning to the end of, Hey, and now I want to buy a house to actually closing on it. So when I say providing value, one of the things that I always want to make sure that that I'm doing is is tempering their expectations and also making sure that their, um, you know, that their emotional connection with everything is not is not out of whack, and educating them as well. So there's two parts to that right, like the, the process of buying your first home is extremely stressful, and you know, you're there. There's so many things that could quite possibly go wrong, and it's just such a new experience. So my job as a successful first-time home buying agent is to make sure that they are completely aware of everything that's going on. So there's a big communication piece here of kind of being really proactive with communication. I would say that that's probably the number one thing is like is 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 
communicating prior to it becoming an issue. So prior to them even asking the question, you've already answered it and you're, you're keeping them updated almost on a daily basis of everything that's going on and making sure that they're completely aware of the process. Because, you know, a lot of times in life that when we get anxious about something, it's, it's for, for a lot of times in a lot of times, it's because we don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know, you know, how bad something could be or how bad something couldn't be. So in real estate and especially with first time home buyers is, is just being over communicative so that they always know what's happening next and they're not overthinking it to a certain extent. And then obviously like the information aspect of like educating them on the entire process, because you know, when you, when you've never done the process, I mean, going out and renting a place is super easy. You show up, you look at it, you know, Oh, maybe I like it. Great. So sign a 12 month lease. There's not a ton of commitment there. You don't need to deal with any other third party. They just need to validate that you make that money. Maybe do a background check. Boom. You've got the place, but buying a place is a whole lot different. And then now you're committed for as long as you own it before you end up selling it and you're going to be owning property. So that whole thing psychologically is a huge burden. I think initially, but like I said, communication, making sure that they're completely aware of everything that's going on and not necessarily overthinking it because you've, you've made it so easy on them that they're like, I can just rely on Gunner to get me from point A to point B. And another thing that we do, um, that to, to provide value, we call it kind of like our white glove service is we, we do these different, um, they're kind of like gift drops throughout the contract process. So we'll do like a Here's like a, hey, you got under contract gift. Hey, here's halfway through the, the process. We're going to send you moving boxes and stuff. So now that you've under contract and you're through inspection, we're going to send you moving boxes and tapes. You don't have to worry about that. We're going to send you help on, on transferring your, your utilities. We're going to send you a handwritten letter when you, you've closed on the house with like a, a cutting board. So throughout the process, they're receiving gifts from us right that we've kind of sent to them and it's just like this this extra touch that shows that we're going the extra mile and that we've got their best interest in mind wow it seems it's a very psychological approach almost to the whole thing like it's kind of retaining their confidence as well as educating them and making sure they're getting a good deal it's such a fascinating game i feel like because it's all relational um and that brings me to another question i had in mind um because real estate, you know, you don't need a degree. Um, I think a lot of people are attracted to it. Like you said, cause from the outside, it looks very glamorous, but not everybody who gets into it is right for real estate. So this is not necessarily the most positive question, but it might be a question that some people might need to hear. But do you see like a, a certain type of person or, um, yeah, along those lines that just isn't right for real estate? Like if you, you know, if you're, Obviously, like you would need interpersonal skills, but you know, a little more specifically, do you think there's some types of type of people that try to get into real estate that you're just like, you know, this isn't for you? <laughs> you know, I, I would say that the, the best indicator that you're ready for real estate, I'll answer it this way because it's a lot yeah. easier, I think, for me to, to just instead of, instead of just calling somebody out. <laughs> no, I like that better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say that if you're fired up about interacting with people, that's going to be big. If you are proactive in communication with people, especially people that you may be like, oh, I haven't spoken to this person in you know 12 months or five years or 12 years or however long it is and being actually like going out of your way to talk to people, that's going to be a big thing. And then being self-motivated because obviously it's not a nine to five job. 
and you can, you know, quote unquote work whenever you want. But the other thing that I, I like to, to inform people about and, and it, people, like I said, on the outside looking in, it looks really glamorous, but people start to catch on in my world, like, holy smokes, this is not the best thing in the world sometimes because I'll, you know, have made plans with somebody on a Saturday <clears throat> and I'll be like, sorry guys, I'm going to be like two hours late because now I got to go drive south to go show a house. And, you know, I'll be like, and, and people will ask me like, do you have like set hours? So there's so much, un, you know, there's so much, um, it's not super clear for some reason to a lot of people, like what the hours of a real estate agent are and especially people in my, my sphere. So they'll be like, Hey, like, what are your hours? Like how often do you work? Like what? And they, they're astonished sometimes that like I'm at the beck and call of my clients. Like, hmm. Do you never get a break? And I'm like, well, here's the deal. Like if they're in a specific price point and you know, they're, they're ready to buy a house, like it's their life their lease may end in 20 days and we need to get them under contract tomorrow. So like, yeah, I am at their beck and call, but at the same time, like if I want to get paid, I'm absolutely going to be at their beck and call. So, you know, there, there, sometimes people are astonished by the amount of hours that you end up working and the, and the fact that like weekends, if I'm not working, I honestly feel a little anxious. I'm like, why am I not working this weekend? Like what, what do I need to do to get more, more clients in the door that I can, continue to work and on the weekends because that's where the money's also made in real estate so to, to long-winded answer to your question grit you know uh the the ability to to be self-motivated the ability to to communicate with people and really love the the rapport building process and then just being a really you know creative problem solver because nine times out of ten real estate transactions go to shit somewhere in the, the process yeah. and you kind of have to be the the one to, to put the pieces back together yeah totally and I, can we can we expand on your mindset because you were talking about you know how self motivation is a huge part of it. What are some of the habits or things that you do to to help your mindset? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's kind of funny. You had sent me these questions yesterday. And I was thinking a lot about like what the mindset piece is, and and I know that obviously that's like a big part of your guys's podcast and and yeah. and trying to figure out you know how can what what are the tangible tools and skills that we can use to to motivate ourselves and to really get our mindset on the right track. And, um, you know, back to a little bit off your question before about what it takes to be a good real estate agent. And, and honestly, like, I think there's a lot of qualities in a real estate agent as somebody that's starting their own business as well. Like they, they kind of parallel to a certain extent. Um, but I've always kind of just had this thing in my head, like ever since I was young that I wanted to start my own business. I wanted to go out there and do something a little bit different. I wanted to, I wanted to be different in like the sense of I wanted to to kind of be a leader. I wanted to hold some sort of management position. I wanted to create something. I wanted to there's a little bit of ego involved in that too and and I'm not necessarily perfect in that regard. I think sometimes I'm no, a little bit is. egotistical. But <laughs> to a certain extent, exactly. Sometimes you need it. So so the like I said, the striving for more and like the leadership roles and always trying to level up in that regard. Um but the other thing I would say is that, um, you know, we, we can all talk about doing something, but, you know, there's a difference between people that talk about it and actually just go do it. So, for example, you guys starting this podcast and um, something that I've been talking to, to a lot of people about is putting themselves out there on social media. You know, if they want to talk about birds or they want to, you know, become a musician or whatever, like, how are you going to, you know, get, uh, get exposure in, in this day and age? And that's through the internet, through social media. And so, 
Um, the mindset thing is just, for me, it's just like, it's a make or break thing, honestly. So it's like, if I'm not doing X, Y, and Z, then I'm not going to be successful. And, and that not being successful in my mind is just not an option. It's never been, I've never wanted to work for somebody else in a nine to five job. I've never wanted to be average. It's just not something that I've ever wanted to do. So, I mean, I guess you could say it comes naturally and there are times when it's pretty exhausting so that there's another whole piece there about like burnout, but it's just not an option. You know, I mean, I I don't think I personally would be happy if I, if I wasn't in this kind of business or in this kind of mindset. Dude, that's so powerful. I, I totally agree with that also. And Liam and I have had the conversation also about the book, Think and Grow Rich, how it's, you have to Mm -hmm. plant the seed in your mind about something you want to accomplish and actually like kind of brainwash yourself towards that type of success. It, if you don't believe you can, and if you don't plan it in your mind and like change your psyche, it's not going to happen. And that's what I've been experimenting with in this pandemic is, is since I've had all this time to myself is really trying to change my mindset. And just even in the last half year, I've made some, some really good and tangible progress. Um, yeah, and I, I have that. I've had that same feeling since I was a kid. Always interesting, Gunner. So, um, you, I mean, it sounds like you're very convinced. You know, like, and I think that's entirely what this podcast is about. And like Ryan was saying, that book, "They Can Grow Rich." You just have to decide. Um, maybe you don't, but do you have any like personal? Maybe it's not even a habit, but do you have certain practices that you? do that kind of reassure yourself of that mindset and keep you motivated kind of outside of real estate. And I'm sure getting a sale is huge and very, very reinforcing, but do you have any, maybe it's affirmations or something in the morning or, you know, some type of practice that kind of reassures and kind of um, nails down that type of mentality? Yeah. You know, I don't know if I necessarily have like a tangible thing that I do every single day. You know, I, I don't know. I, I personally, I, I've, I've been a big proponent of having kind of like a, a schedule and a morning routine and stuff like that. Um, but it ebbs and flows like most things, most things yeah. do, you know, there'll be weeks where I exercise every single day. And, and honestly, I would point to exercise as being something that really grounds me. Um, but you know, it, it's not consistent enough. I think as much as I would like it to be for me to really point to that thing, but one thing that I always have, and it's it's kind of like a mindset thing, but one thing I'm always asking myself is, you know, and this is to a detriment it, at some times, like, you know, my parents would be like, like, you know, I'll go have Sunday dinner with them. And they're like, Gunnar, do you ever just have downtime? Do you ever watch Netflix? I'm like, no, I don't do that. Because when I have downtime or when I have free time, it's always the question in my head, what's the next best thing I can do to get me to where I want to be? How can I use this time pro- productively to get to where, where I want to be? So it's it's almost like this, this it, it's a bad thing to a certain extent, but at the same time, it's like my superpower, I would say, is like, what's the next best thing I can do versus, you know, sometimes I do just need to take a break. So sometimes it is like, no, Gunner, you need to stop thinking about work. You need to stop thinking about the future. You just need to shut up and just chill out. But for the most part, it's it's that question because- you know, the, the thing that's interesting to me is like, if you were to, if you were to watch Netflix for two, three hours a day, let's just take five days out of the week. And let's just say you're doing it for two, that's 10 hours a week. You multiply that by 52, that's 520 hours a week 
that you could have been spending doing something else, whether it's a hobby or working on your business. And that time, compounding change, compounds over time to, to really be useful and valuable life that you're, you know, you're missing out on, that you could be developing yourself in some ways. You know, whether it's reading a book or working on a hobby like playing chess or working on your business or creating videos or creating a podcast. So that's something that I really focus on is like, how can I use my personal time to benefit me in the future and to benefit the people around me? Yeah, 100%. I love it. So it, it kind of sounds like there's a lot of reflection in your in your day-to-day life. You know, you're thinking about these clients, you're thinking about your current sales, but you're also thinking about yourself. Um, is there any, <clears throat> maybe it's a book, maybe it's an experience or something that you can credit to your ability to be able to reflect like that? Because I, I definitely think like being able to sit and look back and connect those dots is something that you would have to develop. Maybe it's something that happened over your life. Could be how your parents raised you. Um, and maybe not off the top of your head, but um, <clears throat> is there anything you could think about? That's a, that's a good Good question. <laughs> um, I, okay, I read a book called Defining Decade, and I, I recommend this to most people. And, you know, it's, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's, it's like the most life-changing book, but it, perhaps it is because it's the one that I recommend to everybody. <laughs> but it's, 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 it can be dry, so if you're not ready for that, but essentially it's this, this author, and she's a, a clinical psychologist, and she works with or she worked, I guess, and wrote this book based on this research and, and experience with 20s, 20-somethings and people kind of entering their 30s. And she kind of observed all of the wrong ways to go about it. And it, it's it's something that I often think about, you know, for example, there's there's like questions about, um, you know, like what, what kind of job you should take. So she, she dealt with like, people in their twenties who would rather just go work at a coffee shop and wait some years before they figure it out rather than maybe take a job at a company that they weren't necessarily super excited about at first. But the, the long-term effects of that same situation was that this, this woman, instead of taking a job at a coffee shop, took a job at a, an animation studio or something like that, which she was never really interested at all. But then she got a connection at that job and ended up finding her dream passion in Hollywood. So random connections in life and and basically the the there's a whole bunch of other stuff on on in that book and it's really about like 20 something so like relationships and work and mindset and all that kind of stuff um but what i took out of that is that like this decade you know your 20s are some of the most formative years and if i'm not using this time because i remember like just yesterday when i was a freshman at gonzaga and i'm like holy shit that was so like that seems like it was yesterday, but it's already been six years, right? Like that, that's scary to me. So that time flies, right? And, and so using my twenties and using my time in general to better myself for the future, um, that's been the biggest thing I would say. So that book is really reformative. Uh, there's another book called I will teach you to be rich, which we can talk about personal finance later if you want. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing is, is never feeling like I regretted the way I spent my time and, and just focusing always on, on the future, but, but living the present and enjoying the present too. So there's a, there's a, there's a healthy balance there that often 
you know, is, is kind of hard to, to navigate, but I like to call it counterbalancing. So sometimes I'll be spending a lot of time focusing on the future, maybe not so much on the present. And then the other times I'm going to counterbalance that with focusing on the present versus focusing on the future. Wow. Wow. Incredible. And that was defining the defining decade. Yep. Yep. By, um, Meg something. Uh, let's see. Yeah. I'm definitely going to pick that out. Cause that's kind of like, that's, that's a huge reason why Liam and I wanted to start this podcast. It's, this is a, such a formative period. It's time to experiment. It's time to just do, you know, take different paths. You don't have a lot of commitments compared to later on in life. And it's super important to, to experiment, you know? And that's just it. And, you know, I'm going to say something really controversial here. And so maybe, I, maybe I'll get canceled for saying this. <laughs> but if you're in your 20s and you're not directly affected by COVID-19, like if you don't have anybody in your family that's been, you know, affected by it, or if you, you know, if you're not relying on money to, to put food on the, the plate, you really don't have any excuses at this point. Like it's exactly. come and gone. You, you have an opportunity now to, to do something with your life. And, you know, there's always going to be restrictions. There's always going to be, uh, some sort of legal system, right. That's telling you what you can and cannot do, but it's about working within the rules of the game and going after what you want to go after and, and creating value for yourself and for others and kind of making the world a better place. That's my personal philosophy on it. But not, not only has it like, you it, there's no excuse for it but i feel like it's just handed people it's like here here is the time that you can work on yourself here is the time where you're stuck at home that sort of thing um when else have we had those type of opportunities you know Definitely. like there's there's such a great reason now more than ever to be working on this type of stuff absolutely if there's a hobby you've been planning on doing you know if it's, whether it's writing or or sewing or or whatever it is playing chess it's like there's never been a better opportunity. There's never been more time. But instead, we're watching Tiger King and, and freaking <laughs> Netflix. Feels and like ages ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Damn. I mean, you touched on personal finance. And so let's just dive right into it. Um, man, there's so many questions. And I think it's super important at this age. I, I feel like I'm trying to get into it. But I also feel like there's so much I don't know. Um, so I guess to, to start, like, where would you start if you just graduated college, you got a little bit of debt, um, but you're making some income and you want to get into investments. Like, how would you recommend just kind of getting the ball rolling and getting started? Yeah, I, I would say that you touched on it a little bit, but the very first thing is get right with your debt, figure out how much you have, figure out what the interest rate is, figure out what the payment terms are, the, the loan period, you know, if it's student loan debt, uh, figure out if there's there's a way that you could get a lower interest rate or figure out how fast it, you, you can pay it off. I would say that, you know, the higher the interest rate, if you have multiple kinds of debt, the higher the interest rate that is is the, the debt you should go after first. So if you had one what was 8%, one that was four, you'd want to pay off the 8% one first because that one's going to cost you more in the long run. Um and so once you've got that kind of figured out, and honestly, here's the other thing about debt in general, is if it's something that you can bear with for a long period of time, it might be worth it in the short run to just allow that that debt, you know, to pay monthly payments on that debt and probably pay a little bit more than 
than the the standard monthly payment. Say your payment's three hundred dollars a month, you pay four hundred or four fifty or whatever it is, whatever you can manage. But it may be worth not immediately paying that off because you could be spending it on other stuff. So that's kind of a value judgment that you need to figure out based on the interest rate and, and the amount of money you'll end up spending in the long run if you kind of let it go. But making sure you know where that is. And the other thing is going to be credit card debt. So that'll be the second part, right? If you have a lot of credit card debt, get rid of that immediately because credit cards you know, are, are incredibly nefarious. They're high, high interest rates, 18 to 24% APR. Um, but that's the, that's the next piece too, is learn how to use a credit card correctly. You know, it could be, it could be really bad or it could be a great tool. You know, if you're, if you're using your credit card for the benefits that come with it. So, you know, if you're just going to take a a debit card versus a credit card, credit card is going to win in the, in the sense of, you know, there's some sort of benefit that comes with it, whether it's a mileage card or if it's a cash back card. So find a card that you can use on a monthly basis, but always be paying off your monthly balance. You never want to carry over because that's when it becomes a pain and that's when it becomes worse off. But so for example, like I have the Apple card uh, and I personally like it a lot because it's got a great cash back system. If you you actually use the phone to pay for stuff, it's 2%, but if you swipe it, it's 1%. 90% of places these days, they have the, the Apple Pay thing. And I don't have to bring my wallet everywhere, but it's also a really user-friendly app. And so, like I said, if you're paying it off monthly, you're getting one, 2% cash back in all your purchases. There's other cards out there. Mileage right now might not be a big deal because we can't really fly anywhere or at least internationally. Um, but use that as a tool rather than as a, you know, as a crutch or, or yeah, I mean, you don't want to be spending your credit card and spending money that you don't have because it is really easy to do that. Um, and then the third thing I would say is invest in your retirement. So if you have a job that has a 401k matching program, and if you don't know what that is, like there's there's a lot of employers that will say, hey, up to a certain amount, we're going to match any contribution. So like, hey, the first $3,000 you put in your 401k, we'll match that. That's $3,000 in free money that you should be taking advantage of. So do that. And if you if you make below, I believe it's 123 6,000. I think that's right, but it changes all the time. Uh, if you make below that, start a, a, a Roth IRA. <clears throat> a Roth IRA is great because it's tax deferred. Um, or sorry, it's, it's post-tax income that you're, you're, uh, that you're investing. And so when you, you go to, to take it out at the end of the term, you're not paying any more taxes on it. Um, so that's something you could set up with, with a company like Fidelity or Vanguard. It's just another retirement account. I would choose a target date fund, some kind of, uh, index fund. And all of this information, I will say, I'm not a super big expert, but all of this information can be found in the book. I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi. So hundred percent, if you're listening to this and you don't know anything about personal finance, buy that book. It is the most funny, it's the, the wittiest, and it's the most educational personal finance book I've ever read in my life. It'll teach you everything you need to know and more. It's got everything from credit cards to saving for a wedding in the future to how to you know buy a house. There's everything involved in that book. Um, and then the, the other thing that the last bit I want to talk about is the fact that money is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's, it's a slow game. Yeah, right. And if okay. you think that you're going to, you know download a a course on YouTube and and get rich drop shipping, you know, fidget spinners or whatever to kids in Canada, you're wrong. It just doesn't work like that. <laughs> um, you know, 
you, you got to be you got to be tactful with your money. You got to be patient with your money, and play the long game. So in in real estate, because you're you're obviously getting um, it's not a continuous income. It's kind of like you know you could be closing at different dates. You could be getting it, it's not really consistent when you say it's just like you don't have a set time every two weeks you get paid. I mean, you have to put in the work for it and, um, mm-hmm. you know, with, with different clients, but how does, how would you say ego comes into play with money? Cause I think sometimes at least I've been guilty of it at times. I'm like, Oh, I get a good paycheck with, and I've, I've been at a whole career job, but it's like, Oh, I want to buy this or want to go do something. It's like keeping yourself grounded. And I think in your twenties, isn't that important? Oh, absolutely. Game, like you yeah. Said. Yeah. Yeah, money money's so funny because to your point, it it goes up and down, right? So you could have you could have a week or or whatever where you don't have a lot of money to spend, and then you get a big paycheck and you you feel rich. Um, but to your point, you know you got to make sure that you're staying grounded. And one of the easiest ways to find long term uh, financial failure is to always be spending out of your means. So you know if you're if you're constantly spending more because you're making more, then you're never going to end up finding any sort of financial freedom. You're never going to end up finding, you know, like a long-term level of success because, you know, if you get a raise one year, but you start spending more that year, you start going to nicer restaurants, you buy a more expensive car, like your, your, your level of life is always going to stay the same. You're always going to be make, you're going to have the same amount of money in your bank account because you're spending more. So I'm not a big proponent of the fire method, which is basically like, don't spend any money, save everything that you have, eat rice and beans, drive a 1996 Chevy Impala with a broken, you know, broken tailpipe. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I'm not a proponent of that. I think it's stupid, you know, because you should be living your life as well and enjoying the fruits of your labor, but you shouldn't be going to five-star restaurants when you're making $45,000 a year. Yeah. So there's a, there's a happy medium. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a great, great point to touch on. <clears throat> and I think this will relate to, hopefully this will still relate to finance, but I think that's something I am trying to work on. Um, and I'm sure it's a relevant issue is this, I mean, it's the idea of the work-life balance, but I think that same philosophy carries over to finance too. Like I'm making money, but like, I'm trying to save for my future, but I want to be happy right now. And if, if being happy is like me buying like a new pair of skis so I can ski with my friends this season, as long as it's not out of the budget, it doesn't seem irresponsible. But at the same time, it's like, what's the value I'm getting from the ski season versus putting those that like potentially 600 bucks into savings or an investment. So I don't know what, like, what's your take on this work-life balance, this financial happiness versus savings balance? Yeah. And, and I, I'm definitely, like I said, I'm a big proponent of living your life. So if, if buying a ski pass is something that's going to make you happy in, in that, you know, that ski season, then I'm all for it. I don't think that that's a frivolous purchase. What I think is a frivolous purchase is going out and buying like a $500 pair of Gucci sneakers when you're 24 years old and you work at, you know, Microsoft as an entry level position. Like it's just dumb. What's the point? Or you don't even work at a big tech company. You work at a regular, you know, I don't know, yeah. average company. Um, it, you know, something like that. It's it's so hard because one is an experience and one of one of them is like an item, a material item. So I personally think that if you're paying 
a lot of money for an experience, then it's it's going to be worth it if it's worth it to you. Yeah. So for example, me and some friends, we went to the Grand Canyon. We went to a lot of national parks in, in college, but we went to the Grand Canyon. And one of the things that we did is we tried to save as much as money as much money as possible throughout the trip because we know that we wanted to do a helicopter tour in the Grand Canyon. So we each paid like three fifty a piece to do this like thirty minute helicopter tour, and you're like, oh my gosh, three hundred fifty dollars for thirty minutes. But like, dude, that was one of the most legendary experiences of your life. Like you fly over, you know, you're you're outside of the Grand Canyon and it's just flat, and then you just like hit the edge and it's just this huge expanse of landscape that you've never seen before in your life. And I would pay that again in a heartbeat. It's it stuff like that is completely worth it. But like I said, going out and buying, you know, clothes that are out of your means, going out and and spending money and maybe at restaurants that are out of your means, stuff like that is going to be, or, you know, buying the latest and greatest, um, you know, gaming system or, or whatever it is and stuff like that to always be keeping up with the Joneses. It's kind of dumb. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's, that's an interesting point. I think financially, you know, you spent 350 bucks, but I, I kind of see that as an investment. I was thinking about this idea um, when I was, when I went abroad, right? The summer before I went abroad, I was working my ass off. I was working like 60, 70 hours a week to pay for this trip. I made a good amount of money. And I was like, I kind of got to this this edge where I was like, oh, if I if I put all of this into a savings or like an investment, I could make so much money in a few years. But then I thought about my experience living in Europe and being able to travel to these countries. And I feel like who I am as a person has benefited so much from these experiences. Yeah. So it's just like weird life investment, I feel like, of of your personal growth and what you want. Like because I went to Europe. I feel like I'm more driven to be financially successful because I want to experience that that again. Like I want to, I didn't go to I didn't go to Switzerland to go skydiving because I couldn't afford it, but that just motivated me to make enough money in the future where I don't even have to sweat that. Dude, so that, I think it's like this weird balance of like what what is worth it, and I wonder if that just comes down to to who you are as a person and what values you really hold. But like this, am I going to grow as a person because I'm spending this money? Or would I be better off just putting this into an ETF for an index fund that'll financially benefit me, you know? So it's just this weird dichotomy of, of value. I think it comes down to, like you've reiterated so much. Yeah, I feel that exact same way because I spent 11 months in Italy and those, those months were definitely the most formative uh, 11 months of my life for sure. I went through so many different things. I'm bilingual because of it. Um, I have this new community of friends in a different country, different culture, and it's really just been absolutely priceless. And I think there's that dichotomy um, between an investment in yourself and kind of like maybe a fad or or something that you consume or you buy. Those 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 things don't really kind of stick with you for long. And I think. Um, you know, financially, it's it's a good idea to invest in oneself whilst being financially responsible, and um, yeah, it's really just done just done wonders for my own personal development. And I'm even hoping to go back, you know, COVID permitting, before I get get started with everything. A hundred percent, yeah. It, it, to your point, Liam, it's it's a value judgment, exactly. So I, I I was the same way when I studied abroad in Florence. I 
I had saved a bunch of money because I knew I wanted to do all these things. And I, there was other people that we were with that didn't necessarily get to do these things because they wanted to save money. And, you know, that, that sucked. I, I was watching that and I was like, that sucks. But again, it's, it's the value judgment thing. Like you went there for a reason and you're going to live that time up. And to your point, you, you grow so much as a person. And that's so awesome that you're bilingual, Ryan. It's incredible. I wish I could say that. <laughs> yeah. That's why, that's why I want to go back. It's like that investment in myself, you know, before the wife and kids and mortgage and everything is just like, exactly. you know, that, that, uh, that kind of personal investment. And that's, that's how I know Kevin also. And that's how, you know, I met him and that friendship's really changed my life for sure. Our last guest that we had on. Dude, that guy, his story's crazy. I'm excited to see what he does in, in, uh, you in MMA, you know? what when when he makes it to the ufc and stuff but that that was insane it's i think that's just like the such a testament to like the human psyche because he went through so much like he should be the example of of what we're able to do and like i feel like everybody listening to this podcast is and definitely me included but we are in such a good starting point like most of us if if shit hits the fan we can just move home right? We didn't have to cross a sea and save people's lives to do this, but this, yet he's still so determined. And that's a risk. Like professional fighting, I feel like there's this exponential curve of income that you just got to really invest in it in the long run. And I think that that reflects in almost every other aspect of, of life, even, even out here in, in the States of like, you just got to be determined. And I think that's, such a testament to you Gunner. like what you've what you've mentioned is like you just kind of decided right you you have this mindset where you're like ah you know what i'm gonna do it i have to like there's really no choice you're not you're not kind of teetering it's almost like you're not giving yourself a way out and i feel like that is a problem so many of the times is because people can play it safe they typically do 100 you know what i'm saying yeah I mean, it's, it's that thing where you kind of have to put yourself against the wall, your back against the wall to be like completely performing at your highest level. That's what I like to say. Like people will show their true colors with their backs against the wall. And that's the absolute truth. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I feel like you have to put yourself in situations to be in that, in that position where your back is against the wall. So um, I guess to close this out, if there is anything we missed or certain little gems that you've learned along your way um, that you would like to share to 20-somethings, um, what, what do you got for us, I guess? <laughs> yeah. No, I would just say um, I talked a lot about it before, but basically staying personal with your goals, having a support system that keeps you accountable. You got to control what you can control, and we all live in our own little bubbles and echo chambers where we're going to retain what we hear all the time and start to believe things, even if they're not true and, or if they're slanted, but it's about Ooh. focusing on like yourself and not necessarily letting that noise creep in and focusing on like your mission in life and going after that rather than allowing the external noise to, to bring you down or to, to take you off your path. I think that's, that's going to be the biggest, biggest thing for, for long-term, um, you know, outlook and, and mindset, you know, you just got to focus on what you can control in your world and focus on Ooh. being the, the best version of yourself. Wow. That's a hell of a way to close it out. 
<laughs> that was beautiful. We're gonna, we're definitely gonna clip that and post that somewhere. <laughs> well, Gunner, man, that was that was beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I feel like I learned a lot, and I'm hoping people do. Um, everybody, his his podcast is compounding change. Correct. Yep. Yep. And you could throw that in the show notes as well. And you could probably put the links to the books there too, so that listeners can hear Sweet. all that stuff. Sweet. Yeah. And we'll, we'll throw your Instagram handle in there as well. Um, yeah, man. Thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys.